God's got something good for you today. Say, I want you to say out loud. Come on, say, God has something good for me today. <laughs> God's good. Isn't he? That's not a lingo. Isn't he good? <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not convinced. Isn't God good? Come on. Come on, Jim. What is it? What's the next line? All the time. God is good. And I love that he loves us so much. And uh, just has called us to gather, to have an encounter with him constantly. We had our, our Friday night prayer here, and it was actually just phenomenal. It was, it was outrageously good. It's simple, small, but it was just so good because it's just the body together. And the Lord was prompting me just to tell everybody, get out of your seats and just come up here and just stand together. And we did that for most of the time, just stood together. And there was something so special about it because right before the service, I didn't know that we were going to do that, but I just opened my word and my, the spirit within me just said, go right to Acts. And I went right to Acts and immediately I opened it up and I read that they were together continually. They were continually united. And actually, what you don't see within the text, we see things like they were in, we hear in more traditional texts of one accord. Or uh, modern texts will say they were just in one place with one mind. But actually, the better translation is, is that they had the same passion. The word for accord or mind is actually their passion. They had the same passion. And what is our passion? It's Jesus Christ. It's serving Him wholly. And out of the passion of our love for Him, just as Jesus, His passion, just His, His life was love for the people. And you, get in, you fall in love with Jesus, you're going to fall in love with your brothers and sisters. You're going to care for them. You're going to stand beside them. And it was special that we did that, just stood beside and linked arms. And we had everybody just laid their hands on each other's shoulders and just stood together. And, and do you know the enemy? I could see in the spirit darkness. We didn't have to stand and rebuke Satan. Just by standing together in one, being one body, the enemy gets pushed back. Darkness just goes away. It cannot touch you. When you are together, when you are one, don't try to do it alone. It may not be our Friday night, but whatever you're going through, wherever you're at, link with believers. You are never meant to do it by yourself. Even Jesus, the Son of God, even Jesus draws away to spend time with his Father, right? His personal private time, and then comes back with the disciples. And that the Holy Spirit was with him. He was he, even he was never alone. Even in his alone time, he had the Holy Spirit and the Father as an accountability. That's a weird thing to think that Jesus was accountable. But he was accountable to the Spirit. The Spirit testifies of Jesus under the Father. And, and that's what he's asking of us as his body today. That we are accountable to him and each other. That is such a key. And there's just something supernatural. You don't need to understand it. You don't even need to like each other. And I think we do. 
But there's something supernatural about connecting with each other that bypasses the enemy's plan for your life. Amen. That was a bonus. God's good. I want to talk to you today, and uh, I'm going to be... uh, I'm going to try to stay on point and be as brief as possible. I know that preachers say that, and especially me. You know, that's a tough thing for me. But, you know, what's funny is on Saturday nights, I go in and tell Dawn, I have the text, but I don't know, you know, is it enough? Or I'm not sure how it's going to come out every Saturday night. And there's always way, way, way more than I could possibly process. I'm like, okay, I don't have time for that. Don't have time for that. Don't have time for that. So let me stay moving. Let's just see what God's got to say. Last week, I brought you to the story of David and Goliath because a couple of weeks ago, the Lord had spoken to me and he said, do you really think it was the stone that killed Goliath? And it struck me, no pun intended, but it struck me when he spoke this to me because I'm like, huh, wait a second. And we went through it last week of what, how the Lord opened up this revelation to me. We went through and I showed you how David was actually anointed by Samuel. And you remember the story? Remember how he was anointed? And then I showed you that not just was David anointed by Samuel to, to be king, right? God actually came upon him, was, a, was with David. And then I showed you in the word that even Jesus, as he gets baptized in the Jordan, the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus for Jesus to do what he does. And then I showed you that Jesus promised us that the Holy Spirit would come upon you to anoint you to do what he called you to do. But the key is that it was not David and it's not you who's doing it. You are a conduit. You are a shell, a body. And he loves you so, so much. You're not unimportant. I'm not demeaning you. I mean, I'm included in this group. But it's your body and his power. It's your will and his power. It's your arms but his strength. It's like supernatural steroids in there. (laughs) Right? It's God within you. It's not you. But it takes you. I want to preach to you today so that I can continue right along with that thought process. You've got it. Okay. Okay, pastor, we get it. It's not me. It's God anyway. God anoints. God gives the power. And yet, though, we see this in the story. David decided, I don't see in the scriptures that a prophet came to him and said, David, just so you know, when you get there to the battle. You're going to see a giant and don't worry. The Lord is with you. You're going to have success. You can take him down. There is no scriptures of a prophet coming and giving them. There's no scriptures of a dream or a vision giving him confidence that he could take down Goliath. And yet we have David comes on the scene and he says, who is this? Who's standing there and defying God? Now, David is a man. David's been anointed by God, but David is a man. I want everybody, I want you just to raise your hand. And I want you just to testify so that your mind can hear it. I'm I'm human. human. 
Just so you, just in case you didn't know, just in case you weren't sure and you didn't realize that, I'm human. And so was David. David was a man just like us. And the Spirit of God was upon him just like the Spirit of God is upon you today. When you said yes to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, that was part of the package. Jesus gave you a package deal. Did you know that? He gave you salvation. He gave you eternity. He gave you life. He gave you peace. He gave you joy. He gave you everything you need. And we're going to look at some scriptures that back all this up. And he gave you the Holy Spirit. That was the, actually, the Bible says that that's the seal. The Holy Spirit is the, it's like the deposit to prove that there's eternity waiting for you. The Holy Spirit is with us right now. When you said yes to Jesus Christ, you were anointed by the Holy Spirit. There are not certain Christians that are anointed. I want you, if most of you, maybe you don't even know this theology, but if you've grown up in church, sometimes pastors and preachers have said, well, that there are certain people that are anointed to do certain, uh, well, certain things. Let me take that back. Let me just start that over. You have, may have heard that certain Christians are anointed and other Christians aren't. Has anybody heard anything like that is growing up? That is a total lie from the pit of hell. Now, what I was starting to, I was getting ahead of myself. There are anointings for specific things. There are certain people that are anointed for a specific task or job. That is the truth. But there is no tier system in God. There's no greater or, in fact, even if there were, Jesus just settles it. You want to be great here on earth? Fine. The greatest will be least in heaven and the least will be greatest in heaven. So, if that's the case, then I just want to stay real low. Let's just forget the greatest. Let's just forget all that anyway, because I'd rather be greater for an eternal. It'd be like you saying, listen, I can make you captain for one day, or you can stay low and stay a nobody, and you'll be captain for the other 364 days of the year. And that's, eternity's not even really, we can't even understand it. That's such a small picture. I'd rather stay low and just stay humble. And that's his picture. Jesus showed us as the Son of God of low and humble. He showed us that. The Bible tells us that every single believer is anointed. Now, you all have a different job. You all have different giftings. You all have different places that you've come from, that you're in now, and he's going to take you. Who's thankful for us being all a little bit different? Right? That's <laughs> Now, you're not thinking that because I'm glad I'm not like my, my neighbor. You're not thinking that. You're glad that you are who you are. You have a personal identity in you. But I want you to get that. I really feel like the Lord wanted to just crush that. A lot of you don't even, maybe you're newer to following Christ, and you don't even know that that's a theology that's been taught. But that has been taught. I'm not more anointed than you just because I'm standing here. I just have a different job. My job right now is a microphone, but there's no greater. That's why I like just leaving that. I come down here and just talk to you. You are just as anointed as every other believer. But, and here's today's sermon. 
but with a capital B, your giftings, your anointings, what the Spirit of God has put inside you, even though you are saved and loved by Him. Now, I want you to know that your love, His love for you never, ever ends no matter what decisions you make. Your salvation is in your belief in Him. But the giftings and the, the things that will come out of you, I'm going to make a bold statement, are completely and totally reliant upon your willingness to let them out. I've been on some kind of a theme for the last six months. Just, you know, I just have to be faithful to the Lord and just say it again. So you've been hearing this. I'm going to say a statement you may have heard in the last six months, and here's the statement. God will not make you do anything. As I've said, He makes it kind of clear. He prompts you pretty hard sometimes, pushing you in a particular direction that this is my will for you. This is my will in this situation. But God did not make you say yes to him, even though it was abundant. You said yes because he made it clear. Just as it's just as clear for everyone else. There, are no, there is no such thing. This is another theology I want to crush as Satan's theology, that there are those who will be saved and just those that won't. There's, it's only your choice. Period. It's not God saying, well, they weren't meant to be saved. That's the devil's lie, and we're going to crush that thing right now. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Every single person who was born, because my Bible says you were made, I saw you in your mother's womb. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. There's, it, there's no way, even though we see like Pharaoh, that God used him for evil, but it was out of the evil that was already in Pharaoh that God was using. He didn't, God didn't make him evil. He, it says he hardened his heart. He just hardened the heart that was already hard. If our minds can get wrapped around that. But you need to know that you are anointed because the Holy Spirit is in you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, then he has outworkings that he wants to do. The Holy Spirit is not on vacation. The Holy Spirit has found His home in you, but He is not doing additions and picking out furniture. He's perfectly content with the home just the way it is. Okay, great, I'm home, now let's get to work. Now, in only the way that God can do it, He is doing things in you all the time. All the time, he's, he is rearranging the inside, but his ultimate job is, let's get that fixed quickly. I don't want to spend the whole life getting you right. That's not my purpose. Just get aligned with me, and we'll worry about that as we go. And that's a part, actually, a part about our faith that we don't get. We spend so much time at the foot of the cross, which is an amazing place. But the cross was supposed to free us. It was supposed to be up. Jesus didn't stay at the cross. Why are we? We're supposed to go through the cross, through his blood, through that salvation moment, and move on. What did Jesus say? Did he come back and say, no, I want you just to stay here? He said, no, now I want you to go. 
I want you to tell the world what I've done. I want you to know what's happened to you. I'm not taking away from the cross. But you, if, and, and if you're in a place of struggling, then that cross is for you. You need to know that. If you're still struggling, then fine. Don't, don't leave the cross until it's finished in your heart. But it's supposed to be, it's like a, a, a marker in your life. You can't get to, you can't, and some people we can see, they try. Or we can see that there was Simon the sorcerer. In the New Testament, he says, Holy, you know, I want the Holy Spirit because I want to be able to do things. I want those outworkings. I want those works. And he was asking for something without the repentance, without the cross. And he had it wrong, didn't he? David did what he did. What actually happened on that battlefield was something supernatural. It was a human being and a supernatural God that came together. Heaven and earth meet in you and through you. The Bible says, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and if you were here last week, you, I'm going to go into this verse again. And this is all I'm building here. I'm trying to build this. It says in verse, in chapter 1, verse 7, Now you have every spiritual gift you need. You have every spiritual gift you need. Come on, I want you to say it out loud. I have, I have every, every spiritual, spiritual gift, gift I need. As you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, he will keep you strong. In fact, in the Amplified, it says in verse 7, if we can look, it says that there's a power. It says right here, there's a power. The power of the divine grace operating in your souls by the Holy Spirit. Verse 8. And verse 8 says that he will establish you to the end. Everything you need is in you because the Holy Spirit is in you and he's establishing you. There is not an end yet and we're waiting for the return of our Lord and there's this gap of time in between and, and it's not confusing, confusion and confusing mixed together. It's called confusion. There is no confusion. If we read the word, it tells us exactly what this time is for. And it says he's going to keep you strong, going to keep you free from blame because there's time still here. The enemy's still going to try to get you back and he's going to fail. God's going to win. But verse 9, God will do this for he is faithful. Let's pull that back up in the Amplified again. Okay, we're already there. God is faithful. He's reliable, trustworthy, and therefore ever true to his promise. And he can be depended upon. By him you were called into companionship. Everybody say out loud. Companionship. And participation with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In the New Living, it says he has invited you into partnership. 
The New King James, the city's called you into fellowship. And so there's a few words. They're all pointing back to this Greek word I told you last week. The word is koinonia. And that word means partnership. That's why the NLT says that. It says participation. That's why the Amplified is, is translating it that way. And communion, distribution, and fellowship. All of these the definition is all one thing. What happens if there's a participation and a partnership between Dawn and I as husband and wife? She is not greater than me and I'm not greater than her. We're each equal parts. Well, that's an odd thing. I'm not saying you are equal to God, but he has chosen you to be a equal part. A partner means that there are two parts. You are a part of Ner. <laughs> You are a part, and he's a part, and you've come together in a fellowship, in participation. That means if you are a partner, if there is participation, that means that there is going to be some love on my part and some love on her part. There's going to be some housework on my part, and there's going to be some housework on her part, and there's going to be some children raising on my part, and some children raising on her part, and together as one, that's what the Bible says, the two flesh have become one, and pointing, because it's such a mystery what happens with us and God, is Paul says the same thing, I, only way I can describe marriage, which is just as weird, and the relationship with Christ, which is just as weird, I don't know how to describe it except for you to look at a husband and wife, and the two flesh become one. That means one mind, one spirit, one way. Now we each have our own wills. Even here on earth, Dawn has her own will and I have my own will. And somewhere in between, we're going to find an equal will, right? Her will. <laughs> it's no different with us in Christ. Your equal partner is somewhere that you're going to find the right will, and it will be his. It'll be the Lord's. God gave, he gave men the easier job. We can actually understand Christ easier. Oh, your will be done. That's easy. It means I never have a say. You always get to say what I do. I pretend to have a say. We're going to have a conversation, an argument even, but you'll get what you want in the end. So it's easier for men to understand who Jesus is. It's harder for women because, man, I'm not used to not getting my way. <laughs> hey, hey. No, I just, I just, I'm covering both sides. This koinonia, this partnership. When David stepped out on that battlefield, we don't know exactly what happened when Samuel anointed him, like what David understood, but David... When he comes out on that battlefield and sees Goliath, there was a koinonia going on. He proclaims out of his mouth that God had been with me. Remember, he was with me in the, when I had to fight off the lions and the bears against my sheep. And he is with me today. Why wouldn't he be? So it might be a different obstacle, but God has been with me. I've been his partner so far. He's already been my partner. You see, David didn't just come on the scene and all of a sudden Goliath is there. And what do I do? How do I do this? But he had been God's partner and it was irrelevant 
what the situation was. Now, that's tough for us. Our humanity, our human part, we look, we gauge. We go, well, I'm capable of this, but I'm not capable of that. As if it was you. That's why Saul, who was, God's, who was past tense, God's anointed, picked by God. God actually picked Saul. That's why Saul stayed for 40 days sitting on his throne doing nothing about Goliath because the Bible shows us that he had already gotten into his own will. The reason that God's spirit left him and went and found David is because Saul had already gotten his own will. He's decided one day to do things his own way. You can go read that story. Samuel comes along and says, what are you doing? Why are you doing a sacrifice to God? I said to wait for me. Well, I thought it was a good idea to do it my way. And I was doing his own will. He had already found his own will. And, and that's the same reason that the entire military force of Israel was staying here while Goliath is there taunting for 40 days because they were looking with their own eyes. Why does that matter? Because they were gauging their strength. I don't know that I could take Goliath on. But David didn't even look at Goliath that way. He just said, who is this that's defying Israel? Here's the problem. There's a problem that this thing that's here, this situation in my life, this thing that's in front of me should not be here. Plain and simple, period. And the Bible tells us in detail how big he is and how strong he is and about the armor bearer. The Bible doesn't tell us details or skip details for no reason tells us the details on purpose because the perception is that this thing would look impossible. But David's just looking at God. You need to stop looking at Goliath and start looking at God. Stop looking at your problem and your situation and just start looking at God. And when that participation between him and you, when you, really real, when you fully realize the partnership that you have God on your side, then the thing in front of you just becomes... It doesn't matter if it's big or small. It's all the same to God. It says and continues in this, this idea and partnership in 2 Peter 1, verse 3. It says, By His divine power, God has given us everything we need. Here we go. He's mirroring what's in 1 Corinthians. What does it say? God has given us most of the things we need, except for when we face Goliath. We have received all of this by coming to know him. So wait a second. Everything you need comes when? When you know him. Now, this is a harsh statement towards everybody in Israel at the time. But what we really find, why God said that David was a man after his own heart, David fully trusted God. David knew God. Israel had an understanding of God. That's a big difference. There's a lot of people that say, I know God, but they just know about him. You have found the difference when you come to know him, huh? It's very special. Something that nobody can ever take away from you, ever again, ever. And you can come and go, you can come and go into a church, you can be in conversations and yeah, God, 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 God. But when it clicks, when you come to know him, when you come to know him, something happens. Something happens. 
first of all, inside of you, but then boldness comes out of you and you don't even, I'm sorry, I'm just testifying here. Because <laughs> Bree had to stand up one day recently, huh? And the unction came to her and, and, and you feel afraid, but the spirit of God is overwhelming that fear. It doesn't mean you know how it's going to work or how it's going to go down. You just know, I have to do this. You just need to come to terms with this. God's spirit in you is going to prompt you. He's going to prompt you. And who has been prompted before? Who felt afraid when the prompting came? But the prompting of the spirit is not, the spirit of God is not looking at your problem. He's looking beyond and he's looking at the solution. He's looking at the answer. Your mind, your senses, your eyes, your flesh, your strength is looking at that issue. And what David did is he looked at God. He just raves about God. My God, my God, my God. And then tells Goliath, my God's been with me before and he's with me right now. And just so you know, God's got this. Don't be afraid to speak it out too. Just tell your situation that God's got this. You just speak it into your situation. And you have to mean it. We can't just speak it and not mean it. But speak it and mean it. Look and, and look to him. God, you've got this. Whatever this is in my life, you've got this. And it says that God has everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself. So he called you to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. And look what it says. These are the promises that enable you. God's promises enable you. The Holy Spirit, who has his promises? Everyone here. Not a trick question. <laughs> Everyone here because who knows him? We do. Which means that you have the Holy Spirit, which means you have his promises that enable you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. David walked in God's divine nature. We can see his failings. We can see his faults. You can read the story. He failed more than once. But his heart was always broken before the Lord. It always came back to the Lord. Always looked back to him. That was the heart that God was looking for. And out of that heart, there's nothing that God can't do. God is only limited when we limit him. God is unlimited. We limit him by looking at the situation, gauging that situation out of our perceptions, and then making the decision of whether we're going to listen to God or not. Do you realize how foolish... And again, I know that this is week two, so I know we're really going over this, but I just feel like the Lord wanted to say this again, say it stronger than even last week. Do you realize how foolish it was for David to say, well, I've taken care of the sheep and I've killed a lion and a bear, as if that's the same as being a mighty warrior. 
coming to the battlefield and fighting Goliath. That'd be like us saying today. It's no different than being like, well, I've been an MMA fighter, so I'm ready to go to Afghanistan right now and go, I'm going to put the night goggles on and we're going to do some SEAL missions at night. I don't think so. That's great. You're strong. You can fight. There's some ability in you, but you're not ready for that. We realize. But he just said, you know what? I've got a little... I've got a little, and that's okay, because I've got a big God. Come on, out loud. I've got a little, but I've got a big God. You know, the Lord said a second line. I didn't say last week, and I want to tell you today. He said, it didn't really matter what David went out there with. A slaying in a stone is irrelevant could have used anything it was his willingness to go it was my strength empowered him when he was willing to go God's strength was with him doesn't matter what you have how small how big how great remember Saul tries to put his armor on him thinking you know let's let's make him ready for this thing I don't need any of that because that's not where my strength is. It's not in anything that you can do for me, that you could give me, that the world can give you, that anything else can give you. My strength is in the Lord. It's not even this slinging stone. I'm going to pick out a stone, and I am going to let a sling go. He, this is the thing that God, and I want you to get this, that you will still be the person. It's going to look, it could look like that it is you. Because David still slung that stone. It was still his hand and his sling and his stone that he picked. But it was the Spirit of God within him. And that does two things. One, it gives you confidence. It should give you confidence that it doesn't matter how little you have. You just do what you... That's just who he was. He just happened to be a shepherd and that's how he defended the sheep. So he just went with what, who, who he was. And as I've said to you before, God is not unaware of who you are and what you've been through and and how you got here today. He's completely aware. Just go out to the battle lines with him and say, Lord, and I say this to the Lord many times as being a preacher, I don't feel like I've got much. I feel like I've got really little and I feel weak and I feel tired and I feel inadequate, but I serve a big God. I serve a strong God. And I'm going to take my little and I'm going to give it to you because you're big. I've got a little bit of the big. (laughs) God says, I'll do the rest. Don't worry. I just need willingness. I just need willingness. I just need willingness. Don't worry. I'll I'll do it. I'll do it. It's not you anyway. And in verse 5, he says, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Why does the Bible tell us to respond? If it's it's God's strength, then why do we have to do anything at all? And some of Christianity believes this. Some does. Some believes it's all on you and they get, you could get into works and think it's all your strength and some are on the other side and said, well, God's done it. It's all him and there's nothing that they ever need to do ever. 
And this is a, it's not something that I can even explain in words. I'm saying it, but it's something that the Lord's doing in your hearts. If you let him, he's going to penetrate and you just get this revelation of, of me. I'm standing here and there's a microphone in my hand and the words coming out, but the spirit of God is, is actually bypassing. Actually, he's saying different things to your hearts, not even necessarily saying the words out of my mouth. I know that because sometimes people be like, I love what you said. And it's not what I said. <laughs> It's the Spirit of God touching you. You just step out and say, I'm going to do my thing. And it's small and it's little. But as soon as you do that, the Spirit of God, bam, man, He just starts coming. It's our response to the promise that brings the power. It's your response to the promise that brings the power. You don't have to muster it up. You don't have to train and get the power ready so you can go out and release it. It's not going to work. Because if you've done that, it was probably you. And now you're going to try to bring you into the fight. You know how you muster up power? By not worrying about the power, just looking to God and saying, I love you. And I'm trusting in you. And I'm leaning upon you. And that's like superfood. It's like the manna. You're eating of the Lord. Just spending time with him. Because it's not just a partner. Because Dawn and I could be partners. We could say, we can, let's raise this family. Let's be mature about this. But it's a fellowship. There's a relationship in here as well. There's a life that we have together. And that's what Jesus is looking for. Not just a, not just a partner like a business partner. I'll be, the, I'll be God and you be man. Get this right. I want to know you. I want to be your friend. I want to love you. I want you to love me. At the, if you boiled it down on paper, then the partnership, and you put it down on a flow chart, you're going to see you as human and him as God. But at the heart of it, it's you having a relationship, a friendship, fellowship with him. You understand who he is, and, and he understands who you are, just as I understand who Dawn is. I can't be mom and she can't be dad. People are trying and it's not working. <laughs> we need to be who God made us to be. God didn't make, he didn't, it wasn't an accident when he made you and how he made you and the parts he put on you. He knew what he was doing. When David's will lined up with God's will, that giant was already dead. Time just had to catch up with the supernatural realm. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that giant was, he just did, he didn't know it yet. Time just had to catch up. You get your, there is no time with God. There's the supernatural realm and then there's our realm. God's a winner. God is victorious. He's triumphant. He has finished. He's completed. And on and on and on. And you are living in the temporary place of defeat, of hurt, of pain, perception, and we see and we understand and we're looking and, we, and we're gauging and we're deciding and all these things. And when you enter his realm of victory, time's just catching up. 
In Romans 8, 31, it says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? When your heart is aligned with God's will, then the power to do His will... Listen, when your heart is aligned with God's will, then the power to do what His will is asking of you will be there too. It says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, For God is working in you. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Pull it up in the Amplified. It says, It's not your strength. For it is God who is at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire, both to will and to work. What does this mean? That means that God gives you the desire to do His will, and then He gives you the power to walk it out. How do you get God's desire? It's really easy. Align your heart with His will. You just align your heart with Him, and His will is there. Once you have His will, the Bible says, you will have the power to work it out. And it's always for His good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. What an amazing promise. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 21. It says, you can leave that in the Amplified. The Lord strengthens you, completes you, perfects you, and makes you what you ought to be. And He equips you with, everybody out loud, with everything. He equips you. He equips you with everything good that you may carry out His will. What did David know when he stepped on that battlefield? Do you think that he saw the muscles and saw the stature and saw the spear and saw the armor bearer and the armor? I believe so, that he saw it with his eyes. But what he really saw was that there is a bigger giant standing behind me. I come with a giant too. You come with an armor bearer, but I got a giant behind me who's bigger than you could ever even, if, even if you wanted to see in your eyes, Goliath, you, your eyes can't even perceive how big my God is. And I know that I've been equipped today to carry out His will. The Word of God shows us a few common themes. It's 
ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And every single time, they were always out of their league. Always. David was a shepherd, and he took care of the sheep and loved them and protected them. But one day, he became a king of the nation and loved the people and protected them. It says in Psalm 78, verse 70, he chose his servant David, calling him from the sheep pens. God's not surprised. <laughs> I have to say it again. He's not surprised when he came and found you and said, you're just a shepherd? Just little you in that little job in that little town? Nobody knows Poughkeepsie, by the way. Nobody knows Wappingers Falls in the scheme of the world. But God does. God knows little us in a little town in the little middle of nowhere. He said he chose him and he took David from tending the ewes and lambs and made him because it wasn't David. We've just looked at the scriptures. It was God's spirit, God's power working through David. He made him shepherd of Jacob's descendants, God's own people, Israel. He cared for them with a true heart and led them with skillful hands. So God found you right where you're at, but he infuses who you are. This is the thing. And, and, and I can only say, I'm saying it out loud. These are words, but it's a spiritual thing that the spirit just has to reveal to you. Somehow it's you, this partnership. You are a part of it, but it's his power. It was still David who was a shepherd and stays a shepherd. God just gives him a promotion from one place to another place. He does the same thing with the disciples. He said, you were fishermen, but now I'm going to make you fishers of men. He takes you from right where you're at, and he takes you to somewhere you cannot get to on your own. You cannot make yourself a fisher of men. God made them. I will make you. You'll become through the process that I've got, that I'm going to work on you and through you and in you, you're going to be fishers of men. And the other thing we find about these people is that at some point in their story, they always have an encounter with God. Some didn't want to go. Some didn't want to speak. Some didn't want to fight at first. But they all had this one thing settled. I have to be obedient to God. And it wasn't always necessarily a word from the Lord. It wasn't something in them that wanted to be obedient to the prophet or to the dream or to the vision. It wasn't always grand. Sometimes it was, well, I should know. I know God. And because I know Him, then this is His obvious will in my life. You don't necessarily need to wait around for God's will. It's just in Him, in you. Does this make sense? Sometimes we're waiting around for doves to fly down and say, I'm anointing you for this. And sometimes God does a dramatic moment in your life that he takes you from one place to another. But most of the time, to be honest, most of the time, it's looking ahead and saying, well, I've got God in me. And I don't feel like I have the strength, but I know that he does. But I see a need that needs to be taken care of. I'm going to start stepping towards that. And you see God 
bringing the strength, bringing the power, making it happen. And I want you, I want to close with this. I want you to look, I don't want to rush this, so I'm just going to read through this and then if we run out of time, we'll look at it again. But I want to close with this. God shows you, will you choose him? You need to know that every single person in here, you were chosen by God. Let's just say it out loud. I was chosen by God. The other part is you choosing to let him out. Let him be God. You choosing to lay your will down. And the Bible tells us very, very quickly, it says in 1 Kings chapter 19, it's 1 Kings chapter 19, we find this story of Elijah and Elisha. And it says in verse 15, the Lord told Elijah, go back the same way you came. And when you get to Damascus, in verse 16, I want you to anoint some people. And he says, and I want you to anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from the town of something, and replace you as my prophet. And in verse 19, Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field, and there were 12 teams of oxen in the field. And Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. And Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, and he ran after Elijah and he said to him, first let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye and then I will go with you. And Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. Some translations actually phrase this as a question. What have I done for you? And the point of what was happening here is God was actually calling Elisha just as he's called each of you. Elijah, later on in the New Testament, we can look and we can see this parallel New Testament because they said, well, before the Christ come, Elijah has to come. And Jesus said he did come, and he was pointing to John the Baptist. He was pointing that it already has. So we can go New Testament, we can take this Old Testament story, we can fast forward and we can say, okay, well, the anointing was passed on and, and now we're New Testament. Jesus is, wants to anoint us. The anointing is coming and he says, are you going to follow me? And he phrases this question. God comes to you, he anoints you, and technically you don't have to do anything with it. Now, there are all kinds of other verses we don't have time for that there is a lot of verses that point to that if you don't do anything, that eventually you could become the dead branch that he has to cut off and throw into the fire. It's another sermon. But the point is, is that he didn't anoint you actually requiring. He gives it freely, and he's looking for a response. But Elijah says to him, that's your decision, basically. I'm going to paraphrase. You go home. You need to make this choice. My anointing, the job that I have for you, it's yours. The life that I have for you is yours. But you need to make that decision. That is your decision. God does not make you. He did not make David fight Goliath. He will not make you do anything. He doesn't make you have a call. He didn't actually make us start this church. I didn't ever have God come in a dream or vision and say, you better start that church. <laughs> but I felt 
inclined because my heart was lined up with his will that it was the right thing to do. It was, how can I let Goliath stand there and keep taunting these people? We need to take him down. Let's stand up and take him down. And the Lord's will and our hearts lined up, and here we are. But Elisha, we see his response. Elisha says to him, he says that he returns back to his oxen and he slaughters them. Lord is calling you. He's anointed you. And it's totally up to you what you do with that. That is completely up to you. He loves you. And he's got a job for you. He's got a purpose for you. And that's enough. His part, his part of the partnership is enough for him. That's what I'm saying. That part's enough. That's enough. God has done everything he can on his part Now, how you respond to that is completely and totally up to you. And it says, so Elijah, Elisha returned to his ox and he slaughtered them. He's like, I'm committed to this thing. I'm going to cut. I'm going to, I'm going to get rid of everything that my will, my way, my life. This was his livelihood. He was one of a 12 of team. It's important. The The Bible doesn't leave out details. Tells us the details for a reason. He was, man, he had a part. He was pushing his oxen alongside 11 other teams. But I'm going to leave behind this thing, this good life, this life that, I mean, farming. Talk about a time that farming would work. You always had a job. And I'm going to leave this behind. I'm going to follow the Lord. And the Lord said, I mean, and he says, he, he says, he used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. I mean, there was no going back. I'm not going, Lord, I'm going to follow you. And he passed around the meat to the townspeople. And they all ate. I mean, there's nothing left to my old life, my old way. And then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Let's stand. The Lord is just, he's speaking to us today. He's so gracious. He loves us so much that he speaks the truth to us so that we don't, Waste, doesn't want you to waste your life and waste time, so he tells you the truth. Well, well, well before it's even going to matter. He's speaking to you today because he has something for you, and you can do whatever you want with your life. Just because you've said yes to Christ doesn't mean that you still aren't making decisions, but if you put your will and line it up with his will, The Bible says that everything you need, the power, in fact, and and let's just raise our hands. Lord, we pray for your desire in our hearts. Because sometimes even our desires are all over the place. Lord, today, as your people, we're aligning ourselves with your will. We don't want our desires any longer. Even good things, even great things in men's eyes, Lord, but not your will for our lives. We want your desire in our hearts today. And I thank you, Lord, for everyone here that the power to fulfill that desire turning into, Lord, our will is there in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, that you're going to take us from desire to will and have the power in your name. Amen.